very soon. I have the scripture today for our message in John, chapter John. Well, I am going to be doing, like I mentioned to you, like I threatened you with, uh, a Bible study or a sermon series on the Gospel of John. I have no name for it. No. But it's the Gospel of John. Now, I have done this before here, but this is different. I spent some time, last, last winter I disappeared for a week, and in the winter I went to Michigan, not to the Caribbean. And, and, I, and because it was winter and it was like sub-zero and there was a, a snowstorm out there, well, I hung out with several theologians, one from Princeton, one from Calvin, the, Calvin Theological, and one from uh, Fuller, Fuller Theological Seminary. We were just stuck for eight hours. They even brought the food to us. And we were stuck with ancient texts that we couldn't touch with our hands. They were in glass cases, fragments, ancient fragments from the Gospel of John. So we began to study with, for two days, it was so much fun. How many of you would like that? I don't know if you guys are into that kind of weird thing. Studying the Greek and history and literary styles of the Bible, all that stuff. But it was an amazing experience that really added a lot of great uh, uh, joy to my life. And I would like to share that joy with you guys. So we're beginning today with the first chapter, but we're going to do this in two sections. First part one is going to be in July. In July, we're going to deal with chapters 1 through 12 of the book of John. I'm saying that not to just fill in the time so that you will take note and go home and read, you know, during this week, during the month of July, John chapters 1 through 12. And that part of the book is called the book of signs. So in the first part of of, of July, in July, we're going to deal with the book of signs. The seven signs that Jesus did in the book of John that are found from chapter 1 through chapter 12. Then the month of August, we're going to deal with a part two of the book. The second part, chapters 13 through 21, or through 20, depending, through the end of the book, uh, those chapters are called the book of glory because they describe the glory given to the Son of God in His words, His deeds, and His way to the cross and resurrection. So if today we were reminded of Christmas with the glory, eh? Next month, we may be reminded of Lent as we move through that story, okay? So, starting with the book of John in chapter 1, I shared with you the prologue, a hymn that was perhaps was sung by early Christians concerning Jesus Christ. It said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In Spanish, it doesn't say, in the beginning, the Word in Spanish, it says, in the beginning, the verb. En el principio, el verbo. The verb. So, what does the word, word means? <laughs> what does the word, word means? In this case, it means the action of God. That is why I chose from the contemporary English version when I was reading, and I was outliving some of the reading, when it begins to say, in the beginning was the one called the word. 
And that is Jesus Christ, the one called the Word. Now, the Word is actually the verb, the Word in action. So this is God who's going to do some kind of action. And it's interesting because before Matthew, Mark, Mark was written first, before Mark was written, there were some 400 years of so-called silence where the people of Israel never heard from God in 400 years. And now glory is coming to the earth. Because God, in God's own mercy and in God's own grace, has decided to bring in, to send forth His ways, God's ways, in the person of Jesus Christ. So we read that first part. And towards the end of chapter 1, there is a very interesting interaction, which is what I want to read. Between Philip, Nathaniel, and Jesus. It's a very interesting reaction because they, 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 it is, it is, uh, what I'll read. So let me read from chapter 1, verses 45 to 51, and you have that in your worship guides also. Towards the back. Listen to and for the word of the Lord. Philip went to look for Nathaniel and told him, We have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathaniel. Can anything good come from Cobb County? I mean, from Nazareth? What? Did I misread that? Can anything good come out from Georgia? I mean, from Nazareth. Well, Philip replies, come and see for yourself. Great challenge. Come and see for yourself. As they approached Jesus, Jesus said to Nathanael, Now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. And Nathanael was, what? How do you know about me? Nathanael asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Now notice, it says, I could see you. When I go to the original language, what I find is I could see through you. I can see deep in you. I can see your heart's intentions under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathaniel explained. This is why, why he responds this way. Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. And Jesus asked him, Do you believe this just because I told you I had seen deeply in you under the fig tree? Is that why? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, I tell you the truth. This is in the King James, uh, Miss Linda K. This is the one, verily, verily, I tell you. I tell you the truth. You will, see, uh, you will see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man. The one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. The word of the Lord.
This morning, we just read that story where Philip apparently is being called by Jesus. Philip understands that there is a relationship. There's something unique about this guy called Jesus. It's okay. There's something very unique about this guy called Jesus. There's something very special about this man who's called himself Jesus. Maybe Philip saw what's happening in the few verses above, that Jesus was baptized, that the heavens opened up, and the voice from heaven said, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. This may be the, what he heard about Philip, may have heard about these stories of Jesus, and then he goes and finds his brother. Now, you have to understand that Philip and Nathaniel were disciples of John the Baptist, not the Presbyterian. They were followers of John the Baptist. So they were kind of very zeal, you know, zeal, zealots, kind of political kind of branch of the Jewish faith. They were very, very passionate about their faith. And they were very much against the temple and the institutions of Judaism during those days. That is why John the Baptist was out in the wilderness. He was not welcome around town. You know anybody like that? So basically, Philip finds this amazing teacher, and he goes to tell his brother, hey, I found somebody greater than John the Baptist. Actually, I found the one that Moses and the prophets talk about. And Nathaniel, who has his doubts, who has his ironic way of being, replies, from Nazareth? From the ghetto? From the post out of town? From across the railroad tracks? How can that be? Philip is awesome. Because Philip does not reply to that irony. Philip does not reply to that uh, 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 questioning. Philip does not reply to those doubts. Philip sees above and beyond that and says, come and check it out for yourself. And it is in that inter interaction that as they go, Jesus sees, but Jesus sees deeply inside Nate's heart. And Jesus sees deeply inside his own prejudice, his own way of speaking about others. But when Nate finds Jesus, he finds a Jesus who knew all about him, and yet loved him, welcomed him. Who does that sound like? Samaritan woman, who in chapter 4, Jesus shows up and again knows everything about her. And instead of Jesus condemning her, he blesses her with living waters. Amazing, you see? Some of the marginalized peoples are the ones that Jesus approaches to bring into the fold. Those that are on the outside, Jesus wants to put in the center. So Nate realizes that this is the Son of God. Now, I question to a degree whether he knew whether Jesus was the Son of God in the same way that you and I know Jesus to be the Son of God. Because we are 2,000 years removed from that experience. And, and, and when the context in which Nate was, it was not a context of spirituality. It was a context of politics and war. 
You have to remember that Rome is occupying Palestine, Israel. You have to remember that Pax Romana is imposed in Israel during this time. And Pax Romana means you do as I tell you, otherwise I'll kill you. Literally, that's what Pax... Mr. Historian, am I in the ballpark? Am I making you say yes? <laughs> there, there you go. <laughs> he couldn't say that one too. So basically, these are people who are hoping for liberation for political liberation, not for spiritual liberation. Their spiritual needs were covered up with their rituals, with their festivals, with their institutions. So they were looking for salvation, and the kind of salvation that they were looking for was a political salvation away from the Romans. And this is one of the main characteristics in the book of John. You're going to find this kind of misunderstandings. Misunderstanding of what is Jesus about and what we want Jesus to be about. A misunderstanding between what we want Jesus to say versus what Jesus says. So a lot of these disciples understood Jesus to be a political liberator and Jesus didn't want any of that. Jesus was about saving and restoring our soul, our relationship with God the Father. So, in essence, the book of John is going to show us one thing. More than one thing, but let me start with this one. It's going to show us that Jesus is the Son of God. We're going to see how Jesus is going to teach the people around him that he is the Son of God. That by being the Son of God... The realities that Jesus is dealing with are not the same realities that you and I may deal with. That's why we may be active politically, but that's not our life. We don't proclaim political values. We proclaim the values of Jesus, and we keep on moving. Amen. Kingdoms will come and kingdoms will fall, but the church has remained. And that's what we stand for. For a glorious church. So, Jesus, in the, in the book of John, we're going to see God's glory displayed. Now, I talk of God's glory in two ways. I haven't found this anywhere. But as I was studying up there, I thought of this. You know, there is a manifestation of God's glory in the macro world. Macro being in the big sense. Like, it's about to rain today. And guess what? It rains over the just and over the unjust, unjust. And, and, and he's going to bless the land of the farmer who loves God, and he's going to bless the land of the farmer who doesn't love God. That's the glory of God at a big level. The fact that we know that fall is coming eventually. Thank God. Because there are rhythms that are glories, God's glory manifested in large, amazing ways. But then there is also not only the macro glory of God, and glory is the magnification, the showing forth, the expression, the actions, the involvement, the activity, the deeds, and there's my words, the messing up of God's grace in our lives. When God interrupts your life, that is glory has come down to your life. When God interrupts our way, that is God's glory interrupting your way to do God's way. John summarized it in his first chapter, in the middle of the chapter of all things. He has a bad habit 
of saying things after he kind of started. Actually, if you were looking for the, for the, the purpose or the main purpose of the book, it's found in the last chapter. Usually we find when we read today, we find an introduction or early in, this book is for, and we'll discuss that in the class on next Sunday, the purpose of the book. But it is to show God's glory, and God's glory not only shows in the macro way in the world, but it shows in micro ways. And the micro glory is experienced by the children of God. The micro glory of God is God's descending, God's ways, God's spirit, all God's goodness in your life. in very intimate, perhaps secret ways in your heart. It's that assurance that you have. It's that peace that in the middle of tragedy you may experience. It is that voice that you hear from a friend when you're down. That friend speaks words of encouragement. Micro glory of God. It is when we, when, when we get together here and, and we talk about putting monies together and sending it out to Puerto Rico or sending it out to Kenya. It is the micro glory of God in personal, intimate ways. It is the micro glory of God expressed by the children of God and in community. Yesterday, we experienced and we proclaimed to our community the values of unity, equality, and justice. There came a sense of satisfaction. How many of you were in that demonstration? I keep hearing about today, Pastor, that felt so good. That was Doris. Where's Doris? That felt so good. <laughs> Maybe the rebel in her was able to express a little bit. And that's good. But it is in that sense of goodness over, the, over what we're trying to do and for the glory of God. We, 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 we sit to, to cut and roll plastic. I saw that happening on Friday. A lot of people sitting down there cutting through plastic bags. Sharing with one another the goodness of God. That is a manifestation of God's glory because they're not cutting plastic for plastic's sake. They're cutting plastic to create eventually mattresses, sleeping bags for homeless people that will not get wet. That is the glory of God. When we sit with the sick and the dying, that is the glory of God. When we share our hearts in a conversation that uplifts the other person, that is the manifestation of the glory of God. When we see our need for God and run towards God, that is the glory of God. When we see, uh, 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 feel, and experience that makes us be joyful, that is the glory of God. In a special, very, very special way, we also are invited to experience the glory of God as we move into the table. As we move into the table, and, and this is a table that I say is not the table of the Presbyterian Church, but it is the table of Jesus Christ. And in God's glory, He's invited all of us to be part of this table.